you please turn with me to your study outline that you're going to find there in your program. If you're, for those of you that are joining us online, we are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho at the Baptist Community Church, as well as our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study as well. We're continuing a series on the parables of Jesus, and a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. And the most famous parable teller in all of history uh, was Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at his parable of the wedding reception. And we're going to call this message simply um, a party. Uh, there's a famous designer by the name of Diane von Furstenberg. And she wrote, it's not about going to a party, it's life as a party. Author Nan Carmody said, I am thankful for the mess to clean after a party because it means I've been surrounded by friends. Uh, the world-famous chef Julia Child said, a party without cake is just a meeting. Um, so I want to start with a couple of painful questions. And uh, these may bring up unpleasant memories uh, from your childhood or even from your adulthood. Uh, have you ever thrown a party and had no one show up to it, or very few people show up to it. You know how that hurts. Uh, have you ever heard about a party that your friends got invited to, that they're going to, and you weren't invited to it? And you know how that hurts. Well, I've got some very, very good news for you. And it's our, uh, it's our big idea this morning. Uh, God is having a party, and he wants uh, you uh, to be there. He's uh, throwing a party, and he wants you to be there uh, with him at that party. That's the big idea uh, here uh, today. Uh, God's having a party, and he wants you to be there. Number one, God created you to enjoy him forever at his place. This is why God made you, so that you could be at his place in heaven and enjoy him and, and be blessed by him uh, for eternity. Any of you former Presbyterians, any of you grow up uh, as Presbyterians like me. Well, if you were a Presbyterian, when you were a kid, you had to learn questions and answers from what was called the Westminster Larger Catechism. And here was the first question. What is the chief and highest end of man? The answer is man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. We were created to glorify God and then enjoy him uh, forever. Break it down verse by verse. Matthew 22, starting verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king, that's God, who prepared a wedding banquet, that's heaven, for his son, uh, that's Jesus. Now, number two, it must break God's heart when people refuse his invitation. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez uh, writes, Our weakness is an invitation to discover God's strength. Rochelle Goodrich writes, God invites while the devil pressures and shoves and bullies. Realize who holds the actual power before you react. You are greater than Satan, and God is greater than all. And then Craig Lonsborough writes, God invites, we decline, and because of that single foolhardy decision, we spend the rest of our lives declining if we continue to refuse that invitation. Uh, let's pick it up with verse 3 now. Uh, he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now, this is an invitation from the king. You don't refuse an invitation from the king for the wedding reception for his son. 
This is not some second cousin in New Jersey who you haven't seen in 10 years. Uh, this was a command from the king. It says, but they refused to come. Ver verse 4. Then he sent some more servants. Now these servants that Jesus is talking about, these are the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, who God sent to Israel to invite them to enter into his kingdom, to follow him. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. And went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, most of the prophecy that we find in the Bible is in the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus' uh, coming. And there's just hundreds of these prophecies given uh, hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in advance to great specificity and, and, and great detail. Uh, but this is a prophecy in the New Testament. There's a lot of prophecy in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus. But here's a prophecy uh, that Jesus gave 40 years before it happened. And so historically, we know Jesus said this about 30 or 32, 33 uh, AD. We know that from the scraps, uh, archaeological, the pieces of, of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that we have found. So we know that he gave this around the early 30s. And then we know from history that 40 years later, around 70 AD, the Romans came, destroyed, and burned the city of Jerusalem. So this uh, prophecies are not just in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament uh, like this one as well. Well, now we come to another version of the story. Jesus told this story several times through his ministry. And you'll notice that in the Matthew version of this story, it's much harsher than the one in Luke. Luke was given, that version was given earlier in Jesus' ministry. The Matthew one was given just a couple of days before they crucified him, uh, during what's called Holy Week. And so just a couple of days before he gets crucified, uh, he's telling the story. And so he knows that they're going to reject him. They know, he knows that they're going to refuse the invitation. So the story that we see in Matthew is a much harsher story than the one we see earlier in Jesus' ministry in, in Luke. It's not as harsh. Uh, they're not so much rebellious as they are just distracted by the stuff of life. So let's pick it up now, verse 18. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now this is ludicrous. How many of you, before you, if you bought or rented your home, how many of you went and saw it before you bought it? Uh, of course we do. And, and everybody, the, Jesus' audience would have laughed when, when Jesus, I mean, we forget this, that so many of these stories would have been really funny for Jesus' audience. They, they would have been laughing at these stories. And so he says, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. This is a totally lame excuse. This is, this is like, uh, I've got to wash my hair tonight so I can't go out with you, you know. That's my go-to excuse, by the way. I've got to wash my hair. It takes a, a long time. It's an elaborate process. And so he says, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. How many of you saw a car that you were going to buy before you bought it? How many of you test drove a car before you bought it? Nobody buys a yoke of ox 
before trying them out. I mean, they might be lame. They might have some kind of injury where they couldn't pull their load. And so everybody checked them out. So again, Jesus' audience would have laughed. This is kind of a ludicrous uh, excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please uh, excuse me. Now, the craziest one is still another said, I just got married. Now, husbands, you're the ones that get dragged to weddings, right? Uh, your wives don't get dragged to weddings. How many of you, if you just got married, how many of you think his wife would enjoy going to the wedding reception for the king's son? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an easy sell there. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So the Jesus' audience would have been laughing. These people, they weren't necessarily rebellious at this point. They were just distracted by so many other things, by good things. These are good things, weddings and marriage and buying oxen and buying fields. These are all good things. Satan knows that he can't get many of us uh, to join a satanic cult. I mean, if Satan knows he doesn't just show up in, you know, with the horns on and a, a forked tail and say, hey, why don't you join my cult and spend eternity with me in hell? Uh, Satan knows that only a few people will say, that sounds like a good idea. But he, so what he does is, what Satan does is, he gets us so busy with good stuff that people just don't spend time to think about what happens after they die. That's what he does. He, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't come like a forked tail and you know, dress like for Halloween and say, hey, come join my satanic cult. No, he just gets us so busy. And we Southern Californians, aren't we the busiest people? I'm talking to the busiest people I know, and I, and I know the pressures we're under. But he gets the average American so busy that they just don't spend time to think about eternity, think about what happens after we die. I'm always amazed by this. Because I believe even the most committed atheists must believe in the back of their minds there's at least a one in a thousand chance that the Bible's true. I mean, isn't there at least a one in a thousand? Now, I think there's one in 10,000 that it's not true. When you consider all the fulfilled prophecy that history validates and all the archaeological and historical evidence, when you consider uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, when you consider all the amazing things that you find in the Bible thousands of years before their time, I think there's a one in a thousand chance that it's not true or one in a million chance that it's not true when you stack up the odds. But even the most committed atheists must believe in the back of their minds there's at least a one in a thousand chance that we don't just turn into dirt when we die, that, that, that we live on. And yet, we're all so busy, we just don't think about. I mean, if there's an eternity, it behooves us to spend at least some time considering where we're going to spend that eternity. The average American spends 67 days a year watching TV. Not hours. Uh, 67 days a year watching TV. How in the world can we not just turn off the TV for just one of those days and think about eternity? But here's the good news, number three. Here's the good news. God wants a full house, and that warrants an all-out search for guests. God wants a full house in heaven. Uh, he, uh, Peter says he doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everybody to be saved. God wants a full house and that warrants an all-out search for guests. Back to the Matthew version of the story, Matthew 22, verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, 
But those I invited did not deserve to come. You notice, you get the feel there? This is the Matthew one. This is a couple of days before they crucify him. And you sense the harsher, more judgmental tone than you find in in Luke where it's more, he's he's challenging them not to be so distracted. Uh, Let's go on. So go on the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find The bad as well as the good. Praise God that he accepts the bad as well as the good. You know, one of the favorite nicknames of Jesus that we have, and it was actually coined by his enemies. You know what his enemies said about Jesus? They said he was a friend of sinners. How many are glad that he's a friend of sinners? Anybody want to say amen to that? He's a friend of sinners. He says, go out. And find anybody you can, and not just the so-called good people, even though nobody's good when you dig beneath the surface of our lives. Not just the good people. Go find the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And that's what we love to say about Purpose Church. We don't want to be a hospital for sinners. We want to, I'm sorry, we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Yes, we want to be a museum for saints. That's our goal here. Now, we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. What a beautiful picture, this being Adoption Sunday and this chosen ministry. Wasn't that great, the Thompson family and, and all the adoptions we have within our church family? What a, what a beautiful picture of heaven. Uh, all these people go out to the streets, gather them, and adopt them into God's family. Uh, Back to the Luke 14 passage one more time. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Aren't you glad that God loves the emotionally poor, crippled, blind, and lame? Aren't you glad that God wants broken people in his family? People with broken hearts, broken lives, who's made bad decisions, who've, we've made messes of our lives. He says, go out and find them, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes. Now, now he's talking about us. When he talks about his servant, now, now he's talking about us that are currently following Jesus. Go out to the roads and country lanes And compel them to come in. This is the one word I want to just sit with us uh, here this week. Compel them to come in. I think to myself, when's the last time I compelled somebody to follow Jesus? I don't mean bully them or push them. I don't mean doing it, obviously, at the point of a sword. But what we're talking about is we have a sense of urgency. Not I've casually mentioned Jesus once a couple of years ago to a person I've known my whole life. But to have the people around us, we we call it your oikos. It's the Greek word for household uh, here at Purpose Church. Our oikos, the 8 to 15 in our household, the sphere of influence, people we work with in our neighborhood, go to school with, our friends, our family. That when's the last time they sensed from us an urgency, not to the point of being obnoxious, that backfires, 
Not to the point of being annoying, that backfires, but they sense that we care about this thing, and so we compel them to come in. This season, this holiday season we're about to enter into, we've just moved into November. How many of you just can't believe it's November? I just, I can't believe it's November. It's November, and, and I know that's a stressful time, but man, it is the best time of the year for inviting people to come into God's house. I mean, this is the one time of the year when the culture is on our side. They're singing about Jesus in our grocery stores. They're, 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 Jesus is like everywhere. And this is such a wonderful time to compel them to come to Journey to Bethlehem, compel them to come to come celebrate Christmas, compel them to come to Christmas Eve service or any of the services that we have between now and the end of the year. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, there is a dress code in God's house. There's a dress code for God's place, but here's the good news. It has absolutely nothing to do with clothing, okay? There's a dress code, but it has nothing to do with clothing. I, I love this so much. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been reading the Babylon Bee. It's sweeping the nation right now. It really, it literally is. Uh, it's aimed at, initially at Christians, but now politically, social trends, it's a, it's a big deal. It's one of the most popular satirical sites, websites in, in America today. The Babylon Bee, B-A-B-Y-L-O-N, like the city Babylon, B, B-E-E. I encourage you to check it out. And it was started by a young man from our church. Young guy named Kyle Mann grew up in our church, our children's ministry, and our youth ministry, and he's the one that started this phenomena. And I got such a kick out of somebody sent this to me the other day. What should you wear to church? A handy guide for each denomination. What should you wear to church? A handy guide for each denomination. Uh, Calvary Chapel. Wear your finest sandals, shorts, and Hawaiian print shirt. That's what you wear to a Calvary Chapel. Presbyterian and Reform. That's that's my background. Uh, the key word here is classy. Sport a three-piece suit, top hat, and a, and a monocle. <laughs> Pair with a glass of scotch or craft beer and a Romeo E. Julieta brand cigar to really blend in. I have no idea what that is. Somebody could tell me before the next service. Uh, okay, Catholic. Here's the dress code if, if you're Catholic. You'd best wear your spiffiest Sunday outfit or your grandma will pinch you and it will hurt like the Dickens. If your grandma isn't there, don't worry. Someone else's grandma will assume her pitching duties, her pinching uh, duties. Uh, Lutheran, got any former Lutherans here, okay? 16th century German monastic robes are ideal. If you're having trouble locating those, you can go to a Baptist-esque business casual outfit as a fallback. But really, you're going to want to try to find the robes if you don't want to look like a loser. Uh, Eastern Orthodox. Your outfit doesn't matter so much as the fact that you've got a long flowing beard. That's the, the key dress code. And then finally, a non-denominational megachurch. That would be us, okay? Here's the dress code for a non-denominational megachurch. Whatever you woke up in, that's the dress code right there. <laughs> whatever, whatever you woke up in. Now, the good news is there's a, there's a dress code, but the good news is that uh, it has nothing to do with clothes. Number four, the dress code for God's place is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Aubrey Hepburn said, life is a party, dress like it. Uh, Matthew 22, verse uh, 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, 
he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, everybody would have some type of wedding clothes back then. This is not a rich versus poor discrimination thing going on. As a matter of fact, Augustine, who was a pastor in 400 AD, he believed that there was a custom back then where the king would provide wedding clothes for you. So the king, at his expense, would provide the wedding clothes, and so this man must have refused to accept that which he was given. But when the man came in to see the guest, he noticed the man there was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. He was speechless because he knew he was wrong. He had simply refused the clothes that were offered to him. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now the NIV study Bible in its notes says, this does not mean that God chooses arbitrarily. The invitation must be accepted, followed by appropriate conduct. Proper behavior is evidence of being chosen. We don't change to be saved, but once we're saved, we change. Doesn't mean we're perfect this side of heaven, but it means uh, one of our core values here at Purpose Church is growing people change. And once Christ comes into your life, you begin little by little over time to be more and more like Jesus, to think more and more like Jesus, to talk more and more like Jesus, to have more and more of the priorities of Jesus. Tim Keller said, God invites us to come as we are, but not to stay as we are. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Isaiah 61, verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Two final points. A God is having a party and he wants you to be there. And maybe you've never made that decision to put on the clothing of Christ, to put on the righteousness of Christ, so that we don't appear before God. The Bible says our own good works, even us on our best day, the Bible says it's like wearing filthy rags. And so what do we need? We need some clothing given to us. We need the king to die on the cross to purchase for us clothing, the clothing of his righteousness, to be clothed with that on that day so that we'll be welcome into heaven and into God's family. Um, if you want to take this home with you, right in front of you there in the book rack is something that says, it says resource at the top. It says how to become a follower of Jesus. And there are three simple steps. Uh, first of all, you admit your condition before God. We've all sinned and we fall short of God's perfect standards. There's a chasm between an imperfect us and a perfect God. Uh, number two, we believe that Jesus is God's only solution to that condition. The result of our sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God, the gift of wedding clothes from God, the, the wedding clothes of the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you got to put the clothes on. you got to accept the clothes and so three, choose to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord. Uh, Jesus, by his death on the cross, is the bridge between an imperfect us and a perfect God. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, 
but has crossed over from death to life. Do you want to right now, right here, if you're watching online, if you're in Arco or in Kalispell, or you're listening later on podcast, this could, it's not an accident that you're here on this day. This, this is your moment to consider eternity. And would you pray silently with me as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray it in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. So, so God's having a party. He wants you to be there. And then finally, give out the invitation and let the party begin. Like I just said, this is the best time of the year for inviting people to connect with Jesus. It's not just about inviting them to church, but it's inviting them to an event like Journey to Bethlehem or one of our Christmas outreaches or our church here where, where they can connect with Jesus, where I can share God's word or through music. Boy, music is one of the most powerful tools in drama. Journey to Bethlehem is just such a powerful tool where it's just something that's very, uh, very accessible to, to come see a recreation of Bethlehem on the day that Jesus was born, and, and a seed will be sown by that. Uh, and so, uh, like was said in the video announcements earlier, we need hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of volunteers, um, to, you know, our Christmas events, our services. We need the, the welcome center. We need guest services people to welcome people and serve in the parking lot and to welcome people. We need hundreds of volunteers for Journey to Bethlehem. You'll see that there in your program. Hundreds of volunteers to reach thousands of people this holiday season. And it takes thousands of inviters. We, we are an army of thousands to reach tens of thousands. I believe God is calling us, as he has in the past, to reach literally tens of thousands of people with the good news of Jesus this holiday season.